Sonic Statesman.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sonic Talk number 58, uh, recording on the 5th of September 2007. Should be going live with a following wind on the 6th of September. Um, this week, um, I don't know if you can hear the slightly different ambience around my voice. You hear that reverb? That's my large, empty Ooh. new office. Um, well, I say it's large. It's not actually much larger than the other one, but uh, we're in. So, uh, and we've got internet. There are, however, four floors below me of um, people with large power tools and hammers and things and sanders and what have you. So um, we may be interrupted with a little bit of uh, um, power tool kind of noise. And uh, occasionally I get the odd sort of decorator or uh, builder or whatever just popping their head around the door to say, oh, sorry, wrong room. Because this, this place, is, we're the first people in the building and they're, they're still working on the rest of it. But that's the only, we got a rent reduction. So anyway, um, joining me this week are uh, PJ Tracy from Minneapolis. How are you doing, PJ? Very well, thank you, Nick. Good morning. Pleasure to be here. You're sounding wide awake and bushy-tailed and bright-eyed. Uh, I feel, uh, yeah, three out of three. Oh, Christ. Sure. I'm glad to hear it. Quite the opposite <laughs> of myself, who went out for a meal last night and is feeling a little bit worse for wear. Uh, I, however, did not. That's probably the key to it, then. I must remember, yeah. <laughs> don't go out drinking before a podcast. Drink exactly. during a podcast, but not before. Yeah, that oh, was wait. a good one, wasn't it? It was a good one. I think I feel morally bound to say, you know, don't try this at home and all that kind of stuff. It actually worked out to be quite quite a good podcast when our 50th, <laughs> at least in my own mind. <laughs> uh, also from the US, we've got Rich Hilton, who is uh, in Connecticut. Good morning, fellows, and to everybody out there in podcast land. Uh, welcome to you, Rich. How's, how's everything going in chic camp? Are you keeping busy? Yeah, very well. We're going to Geneva tomorrow to play a, a private show on Saturday. Excellent. Someone has got to play Smoke on the Water in the soundcheck, haven't they? Or is that like saying Macbeth? <laughs> Only when you're in Montreux. Uh, oh, yeah. You have to play uh, oh, on, Smoke on the Water. On the Lake Geneva shoreline, though, isn't it? Exactly. With Funky Claude running in and out. I don't know what that means, but it sounded like I should. It's one of the lyrics. It's ah, the lyrics. Funky Claude running in. Well, I'm sure you could manage maybe a bar of it for us, just, you know, just so I can feel like, you know, I'm there in spirit or something. Okay. Ah, oh, Rich. How am I doing so far? That's great. You've just got a piano <laughs> handy. I like that. Don't happen to have a don't happen to have a guitar on at the moment. But, you know. Well, oh, never mind. Never mind. Well, thank you very much for that. I don't think you want to hear me attempt Ian Gillen's bit, though. No, perhaps not. We'll keep it at that and be and be happy for it. Uh, and well, I hope you have a great gig there, anyway. And uh, Non Eric from Berlin, how are you doing, Non Eric? Haven't seen. Well, we spoke to you last week, and it's good to have you back again. Yeah, schöne Grüße aus Berlin. Does that mean something like um, <laughs> best greetings no, from Berlin? Absolutely, yes, correct. I don't know. They say that they say that English and German is actually quite similar in a lot of ways. It shares a lot of stuff, and I do find I can understand it. I have absolutely no education in German whatsoever, but I can kind of get the gist of things. Um, However, uh-huh. I don't understand quite enough German to uh, enjoy your excellent podcast, which you can see over at MusoTalkDE. What a smooth link that was, though. I'm, oh, I'm great! great. <laughs> I'm very yeah, proud of that. That was a good one. <laughs> uh, you've got reason four yeah have you yes i have Ooh. had a chance to play with it and uh, actually i'm actually using the uh, the gold master the final version and i must say uh, once again uh propeller heads are really delivering the goods i mean it took them quite a long time to move from three to four but once again i think they've did an excellent job because everything seems you know i have absolutely 
no problem with the software. And uh, it's very well presented. I mean, the whole documentation, everything. And uh, once again, uh, good job. Great. And um, they're really, uh, the, the, I think what, why it took them so long was mainly, I think, because they totally rewritten the sequencer. Yeah, because there was this there was this uh, long ongoing complaint that you couldn't do um, uh, tempo changes and different uh, time signatures and uh, other stuff. And now I think it now is really a full blown sequencer that you can actually seriously use. Before that, I thought the built-in sequencer was kind of a, it was for some simple things it was okay, but most guys that I knew who were using Reason would, would be using Cubase or another yeah. sequencer via Rewire to do the programming. It seemed to me the sequencer was the best place to put the demo songs. Yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. yeah. But now that's changed. Oh, well, that's quite interesting. Has it, has it suffered? Has it become a bit bloaty or is it actually still streamlined and um, wonderful? Well, it, it, on, on the surface, it still looks very much like the old one. Yeah. So um, it's surprising uh, in the way that it does so much more, and it's really a rewrite. It's still on the first glance, it looks like the old one, which I think is good. Yeah. Well, that that, that sounds like it's probably going to keep people on board. Uh, unlike, so we hear, as you very kindly brought us last week, news of of Logic Eight, which uh, may not look the same. Uh, there is a rumor tonight. Um, they're going to announce Logic 8 because um, there's some kind of big Apple announcements today. But before we go there, perhaps we could introduce our final two guests, uh, who's Mark Tinley. Hello, Mark. Hello. How are you doing? Very well. Good. Glad to hear I it. I just remembered uh, last time I went to Scotland to, t- uh, to collect my kids, I taught my ex-wife how to play Smoke on the Water. Uh, she was going to play it to my daughter when my daughter came back from visiting me. She was supposed to practice it while, while they were away. I don't know if she... Uh, she oh, wow. did. There's an interesting link. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of sideways. And also we've got Dave Spears from GeForce Software. How are you doing, Dave? I'm all right, thanks. Good. I'm glad to hear that very much. So, yes, so reason four. Um, does anyone use it? Well, I did my um, second Urban Chill House record mainly on on reason one, actually, because at the time um, I was traveling a lot from Berlin to Hamburg yeah. on, the t- on the train to work for Steinberg. And, um, that, uh, and, and that was a great opportunity. It was the only program that really would be able to, to do a whole song on a laptop at the time. And I think it's still one of the, the, the great benefits of, of the software is that it's not so um, cons- consuming so much uh, CPU power. And even on a slower machine, you can do a full-blown song. Yeah. Oh, cool. I- so did all your music have a similar tempo that was sort of... <laughs> well, you see, for me, it wasn't so much of a problem because I think uh, there was only one time I remember I've, I was would change the time signature from four 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 to seven eight because I was trying to do a, a cover version of a John Carpenter song, um, the theme from Halloween, din, 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 which I played it in, and I could never really quantize it correctly. I was going. What is going on? Until I figured out it was a seven eight. Uh, ah, okay. Ah. Mark, have you are you a reason person, or is that not something that you're is in your kind of selection of tools? I keep getting given free cut down versions of it with bits of audio hardware that I buy, and I always load them on and look at it to see if I like it or not, and it doesn't really appeal to me. I've never kind of got into the reason way of working. I mean, I did try. Uh, I, I've loaded it up and kind of used it as a sort of 
sound library in the past. Um, but yeah, I'm not, yeah, and I'm, I'm that word. But rewire with logic is just a pig, and it's it, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I hate it, so I can never be bothered to kind of to rely on it. If you launch everything in the right order, it tends to be reasonably reliable. Yeah, you, yeah. Well, I suppose if what, you've got a few things going on. It's, yeah, I, I guess so. How about you, PJ? Uh, in the I bought Reason One and used it for a while as a standalone app, and I build grooves or little. Um, sound pieces, sound montages, and then render them and import them into Cubase. But um, getting reason to work reliably with Rewire at that point was very difficult, so I never bothered to upgrade the program. But yeah. Reason 4 looks uh, extremely interesting, so maybe. I think that's actually going to be released, is it the 23rd of September? Yep. Is that right? I think that was the thing. I mean, there's a lot of big hoo-hahs around at the moment. I mean, we had the Profit 8 and Logic 8 and... Um, this week, obviously, last night was the launch of the Yamaha Tenorion as well, um, which I've had in the office for the last week um, for review as well. So I've been kind of getting my hands on that. And plus the Dexter that we just put up, we put up a, a review of the Dexter control surface, which I don't know if any of you have seen. So there seems to be a lot of stuff kind of coming out at the moment, which kind of is curious because isn't, isn't summer usually not a time? I, I think at AES we're going to see a new end of four. Uh-huh. Oh, which I have a pleasure to beta test as well right now. Ah, okay. You probably can't tell us anything, though, can you? Um, Not what do you want to know? <laughs> Just the good bits. <laughs> With the upgrade to Cubase 4, how does Nuendo 4 uh, differentiate itself? Because I know Steinberg wanted to try to make, uh, you know, not have parity between those two pieces of software, but try to create a a difference between them. On the on the on the surface, it's still very similar. Like okay. the like two with Cubase two and stuff like that, um, and uh, and and it's really deep down in the post production features. It's to me it seems a bit awkward the way they release the stuff. I would expect as a Nuendo user to uh, to see the four version before the Cubase version in a way, mm. because um, it seems odd for me as somebody who bought the the, the pricey big package um, to have to wait. F- so long for a Mactel version, for example. Yeah. So, are you t- are you tempted, PJ, to uh, to y- you use Cubase, right, or do you use Nuendo? No, I use Cubase, and <clears throat> I have used Nuendo in the past. I worked in a studio that that had it, and I I enjoyed using it quite a bit. But then when I found out, and I I thought about upgrading to Nuendo, except um, when Steinberg released all of the press material on Cubase four, a lot of the features, the control room features and whatnot from Nuendo were ported over to Cubase 4, and Steinberg made a big point of saying that if you are in audio creation and audio production, um, Cubase would be the way to go. And if you are doing a lot of post-production and maybe even mastering and that type of thing, Nuendo would be the way to go. And it's it's a little bit of a struggle for me to decide whether or not I need one or both because I do a lot of uh, music to picture, but I, I get along just fine with Cubase, um, right. you know, doing... So there, there doesn't seem to be a reason for me to to upgrade to, or to to go the new Windows Four route because it is, like Hans says, more pricey. As far as talking to the product managers, there seems to be some really sort of high end to picture features implemented. Oh. Okay. So they're they're pro- trying to go more after the Pro Tools customers. I don't know whether that applies to you. 
Okay. Uh, probably not because I, you know, I compose to picture more than do a lot of sound, you know, sound design or, or audio editing to picture. That's, you know, that's not much of my business. I mean, I'll, I'll do a little bit of that here and there for some local projects, but mostly it's just writing to picture and, and Cubase, uh, meets my needs for that. I always thought there's a promotion. Uh, maybe they should do something. They should do a, an SSL and Cubase cross promotion so you can get Nuendo and Duende. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nuende. Nuende. <laughs> Innuendo end day. I don't know. Rich Hilton, um, what, what, what's your kind of weapon of choice when it comes to sequencing? Are you kind of primarily Pro Tools or do you kind of dabble with other others' items? Well, I am definitely uh, primarily Pro Tools, but I do like to play with other devices. Um, everything from Reason was fun. I've played around with Reason. I also do use it as a rewire sound source more than I use it as a sequencer. Yeah. Um, I, I have a good time with GarageBand once in a while. I've been really enjoying Ableton Live. Uh, the real, the, uh, the actual crunch work gets done in Pro Tools in my life in sure. general. Mark Tinley, I know you're a logic guy, aren't you? But have you, uh, are you kind of ever done much in the way of uh, Cubase and, and, and Nuendo? Have you looked at those? Yes, I have. Nuendo, I don't really know what that is, actually, to be honest. Cubase... I did use Cubase for a while when Logic became so painful to use on the PC uh, with regards to audio that I gave up with it because it just wouldn't sync with any sound cards at one point. I think about version three and a half or early version four or something. Um, Pro Tools I use a lot in professional studio, but don't tend to use it at home because Logic is more useful to me as a musician with the MIDI stuff. Ableton I've played around with the cut-down version of it actually does most things that I want to do. Um, the program that I use when I'm not using Logic or Pro Tools would be Fruity Loops, which I think is utterly brilliant, and I use that a lot on the PC. Oh. Or actually, I use it a lot on the Mac now. Ah, uh, yeah, so you did get it installed on your XP. I did, oh, so. yeah, it works really well. And D- Dave Spears, are you... Um, do you? Because I know you're a Logic guy, aren't you, generally? Do you yep. have to do you use any other stuff? I mean, presumably you must have it lying around because you have to test with it. Has any of the other ones yeah. excited yeah, I mean, you every, enough? Everything for testing. Uh, no, I like to stick when it comes to writing. I like to stick with what I know. So it's been it's been logic since it was creator. Oh, oh. and uh, so have you been rewarded <laughs> with any kind of loyalty points? Uh, well, I do beta for them. Is that a reward? I suppose it must be. Have you beta? <laughs> are you beta in Logic Eight yet? Then. Uh, I can't say anything, really. Oh, no, I suppose not. Aren't they supposed to be announcing it today? Isn't, isn't there a, 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 a whisper that today's the day? What do we think? Is it going to be? Hans, you, you must know. You know everything. <laughs> yes, there's a rumour that it is, but it could just as likely be AS. Yeah, that's Maybe true. even more, because I think uh, um, what they're going to announce today is more iTunes and Beatles and consumer-related. Okay. I think they're gonna. Go, I think they're gonna go for it. Remember, I think they re- when they announced Logic Seven, it was just before AES. I think. Okay. So, so like, I think that would be better timing. I would say. Tenorion was launched last night in London. Uh, I did actually get a call from Dave Robinson, who was uh, who was hoping to join us this week, but he got um, waylaid at the last minute. And he phoned and told me that uh, it was a very impressive event, and there were loads and loads of people there. It was packed out which was quite surprising to him because there's a tube strike. Um, he said the demos, Toshio EY did some r- uh, really good speech and um, sort of outlined the kind of design ethos behind it. And apparently a lot of it came from sort of NES platform games, you know, the kind of idea of using sprites to generate light and sound. And, you know, it gave quite a convincing kind of 
speech about the, how, how the whole thing worked, and then there were demos, and uh, he said it was really impressive, and he was kind of couldn't wait to get his hands on it. So I think the launch went well. So um, the jury's still out because we haven't had any serious reviews done yet, um, but we'll keep watch the space. I've got mine to come, and I know there's lots of magazines that are queuing up to get it. I think I've got to give it back shortly after this podcast. In fact, someone's hot-footing it round to send it on to the next one. I'm rather hoping to hang on to it, but never mind. But it's not often you get a new instrument, and um, so maybe it'll find it's got a niche somewhere, and hopefully they sell loads and can finance loads more innovative design, perhaps. I saw this on uh, the Time site, um, and rap is dead. What's happening is um, the music industry sales have plummeted, and, but no genre has fallen harder than rap. According to the music trade publication Billboard, rap sales have dropped 44% since 2000 and declined from 13% of all music sales to 10%. So artists who are once the tent poles at rap labels are posting disappointing numbers. Apparently, Jay-Z's return album, Kingdom Come, only sold 700,000 units in its first week, which apparently isn't, it sounds like a lot to me, but in terms of rap numbers, it's very, very low. But uh, this article by uh, Tarnashi Coates um, is, just raises some interesting points about how a kind of this whole genre seems to be in sort of terminal decline. Does anyone agree? Does anyone care? Would anyone like to see it go? I say, thank God. Yeah, I agree, actually. Um, it's not as innovative as it used to be. Perhaps it's kind of become far too mainstream. We think the innovation seems to be happening much more in this sort of R&B field. So maybe the kind of gangster rap thing is just feeling a bit tired and people are going, mm, we need something else. I was reading a book um, by uh, Colter Rapier. Um, he's a French doctor who's retained by... 50 out of the top Fortune 100 co- uh, companies in the world um, to analyze their marketing. And he he believes in cultures having a certain uh, developmental cycle and that the United States is what he calls an adolescent culture. And as such, we tend to concern ourselves with very extreme things, sensational stuff, such as rap, you know gangster rap music. But I, I think that since... Um, the United States has embroiled itself in its current political situation <clears throat> and wars around the world and 9-11 and whatnot, that that has sort of pulled the American psyche away from even caring so much about this sensational cartoonish you know, violence. And, and uh, you can see the decline of, of that being a, a centerpiece of, of our entertainment psyche um, in, the fall, in the fall of the sales of rap records and whatnot. I don't know if that was too heady, but... No, no, I think that's a fair point. What's, what's taken over from hip-hop, then, as the kind of big-selling genre? It, it doesn't say. Um, I would assume it's probably R&B. But, I mean, I don't know, to be honest. I mean, I'd like to... I wouldn't mind seeing some figures. I mean, I've never really seen the way that music sales are done in terms of genres, and presumably it must be fairly straightforward just due to the categorization of things. Like, you know, I imagine country sells an enormous amount. I remember when hip-hop took over from country, wasn't it? It's the biggest-selling genre. And that was, what, early 90s? So, I mean, it's had a pretty good run for its money. Yeah, well, maybe country's yeah. back on top. Yeehaw! Okay, the article you sent says that the predominant people buying the uh, that kind of rap music was white suburban teenagers. Yeah. Now, if you're a white suburban teenager in 1992, say, when Dave said that that music was sort of starting to take over... Um, we're now, what, 15 years later. You're no longer a white suburban teenager anymore. I can't imagine still listening to that kind of music now because they're going to be like 30, 35, 
and they're not going to be listening to gangster rap anymore. They've probably got kids. They've whole their whole personal culture would have changed, so the music won't be appropriate for them anymore. I suppose, but the Eminem was sort of rap for more grown up kind of people because it was actually sort of there was more humour involved in it. Like the early days of rap, there was a lot of humour in it, and Eminem kind of brought that back in a little bit. And and I think one important point is we're talking about music being bought as CDs and not about music being listened to or downloaded or anything because these statistics only um, talk about the, the CD sales and that's really not really a representative any longer of what people actually listen to. That's a fair that's point. That's an interesting yeah. point. That's a very yeah. good point, yeah. What's his name? Like Master P, who apparently was worth something like 661 million and he's watched his label, No Limit, sink into bankruptcy. And he actually said, personally, I've profited millions of dollars through explicit rap lyrics. Uh, I can honestly say that I was once part of the problem, and now it's time to be part of the solution. Because obviously, uh, alongside this, there's this sort of almost conservative movement within rap, or pressure from what well, seems like born-again rappers, who are kind of saying that they want to um, you know, get rid of all these the, 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 the expletive side of it, and the sort of more gangster elements. I don't think that the homogenization of any music form is going to result in kind of more creative output. It's going to be... No, definitely not. But, I mean, what, what would be next? I mean, do we need... Are we, are we sort of wait on the cusp of something new and exciting? Because I thought, actually, from a musical genre point of view, the stuff that I kind of got me most interested was this sort of punk disco thing, which is sort of trash electronic stuff, which I kind of quite liked. Yeah, I like the loud bass. The fact that the bass is ridiculously loud, actually. These things do go in cycles, don't they? I mean, we had the punk thing and the hip-hop thing and, and the acid house thing and just that sort of 10 to 15-year cycle. So something new must be being created somewhere that we're too old or, you know, whatever to know about, I suppose. We have to go and ask the teenagers. Yeah. Now. What's that blaring out of your mobile phone, Sonny? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> actually the last thing i heard i remember that i went to a skate shop to buy a pair of sunglasses or whatever um i think it was a couple of years ago and it was kelly's and it was that um uh my milkshake rings and i was just like the, the sound of that record i was like wow what is that like, that is so crass you know and it was just really amazing sounding that's the last thing that really made me sit up and no- take notice and actually went out and bought the record um that's making me sound like a right fuddy-duddy actually i've bought records since then but that's a that's just a point where i remember hearing something in kind of yeah, a young person's environment, you know. Okay, well, perhaps we're 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 sort of manoeuvring, or I'm manoeuvring us into dangerous territory where we're all going to seem like um, old farts. Frankly, no, no, you're the only fuddy duddy in the room. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I take pride in my own fuddy duddiness. I'm just protecting, you know, I'm protecting you guys. <laughs> the new N six music production synthesizer from Codename Nemo. The 61 note portable synthesizer with incredible sonic power based on motive tone generation, real time audio control, USB connectivity, and computer integration. Bundled with Cubase LE audio and MIDI sequencing software. Create, produce, perform with the affordable and versatile M6 music production synthesizer from www.mm6music.co.uk. Uh, that was an ad there for Yamaha UK for the uh, Yamaha Minimo MM6 synthesizer. Um, a cracking piece of kit by all accounts. Uh, lots of sounds under the hood and a very low cost. So uh, perhaps you want to head over to the Yamaha site and check out their new stuff. Sonic State. The other thing that, that came to mind was uh, something caught by a chap called Ang- Andrew Pipes, who on Read Write Web, um, he, he writes an article about the Struggling Musician's Toolkit. And essentially he kind of says... 
you know, despite all our sort of grumbling from big name, big name artists and record labels about um, piracy and what have you, there's never actually been a better time to to make and sell your own music for very little initial outlay. And uh, he goes on to list an enormous number of useful resources. I know Mark Tinley, you um, you were you I think there was yeah, some good I'm stuff. I'm really there. impressed with this page actually. Overall, it's brilliant. I've been playing around with uh, a couple of things that I didn't even realize existed i mean i like garage band and play with that in the mac from time to time but there's this jamstudio.com um online music factory and i've been throwing chords into the online sequencer and sort of making up song things i mean my songwriting these days tends to be me sitting with an acoustic guitar and strumming around different chords and just singing melodies over the top until I come up with something which I think is vaguely in- interesting, and then I'll transpose the whole thing into a sequencer and then probably change all the instruments. But this thing allowed me to have a, a strumming acoustic guitar and sort of and lay out my chord changes, but also to do it in key, which is something I'm usually guilty of. So what is it? Is it an online um, web application? Yeah, it's a bit like GarageBand in a way. I mean, it's not laid out in a timeline structure. You have a, a page of sort of a musical page with treble clefs, and you drag chords into these sort of four-bar sections, and it strums the chords for you, and you have some drums and bass and a couple of guitar lines, synths and stuff. And, it, and you choose a musical style and you press play and it just plays through the chords that you've decided, you know, the, the chord order. So then you can work on a melody or whatever. Yeah. And then if you join and you pay, I think, you can um, get access to a, a much larger library. I mean, that's kind of cool in a way as well. The fact, I mean, with GarageBand, you have to have all your sounds in your computer. Um, you end up with a huge library of sounds that you probably never use, or with Acid as well on the PC. I've got hundreds of bloody CDs, which I don't put in the computer because um, yeah, you, got room for you know they fill my entire hard drive up. But if I if I go anywhere, I probably don't take them with me either. They're just sort of sitting on a shelf, and I pick at them from time to time. So, but I mean, the idea of having it all there. If you if you have an internet connection, appeals that's to a, me. That's actually quite a good point because I mean I know you know I work from a laptop. I've got a few drum machines or whatever sound samples on my on my internal, but it would be kind of quite useful to have an online resource in that sense, so that you can just kind of go, I need this kind of sound, and just get it and audition it and use it sort of when you need it. I think that's quite a good idea. He also links to something called um, FindSounds.com, which is interesting because one of the things we were going to talk about i think last week was what loop libraries we use and i tend i use a program called comparisonics on the pc if i'm looking for sounds and comparisonics just happens to be the other half of uh, the find sounds dot com thing and you can search for particular sounds and and uh, they the sounds are analysed, the frequencies of the sounds are analysed in a sort of a colour palette, the colours representing different frequencies. And it is really quite clever how that thing works, the comparisonics thing, because you'll stick in the sound of a cymbal and it will find a racing car that happens to be tuned to the same Doppler and pitch as the cymbal. And it's great for like finding weird sounds that will work with other things in music. It, it sort of struck me that a lot of these things are about kind of what one might turn to, to for inspiration when's kind of coming, you know, once an idea. I mean, I know 
obviously, Mark, you were saying, you know, acoustic guitar, it's like the old adage, isn't it? You know, if you can hit, if you can sort of strum it and hum it, then that's the good starting point. But obviously, yeah. you know, with all this other technology around, there's other ways of doing it. I don't know if anyone else has any other ways. I mean, PJ, you're, you're kind of what one would term a sort of proper musician, you know, in that sense. I mean, do you find that you kind of prefer to sit at a real instrument or do you kind of find inspiration comes more readily from other sources? Um, <clears throat> I try to switch up the compositional process. Um, I write a lot at the piano. Um, that's my main, you know, my main instrument. So I'll sit at the piano and, and I guess do what you would call proper writing and then go to the computer and flesh out the ideas. And I find that that happens, uh, you know, it'll, if I'm doing a, a quote unquote proper arrangement for somebody, it'll go much faster if I do it that way, because then I don't get bogged down by trying to let the technology serve what I'm doing. But I, I'll often take sounds and start sculpting with them or, you know, take, take a, a sample of something and then try to make an entire piece out of just one sound or that, that type of thing more as an exercise or as a, you know, as a process extender. Yeah. And, and non Eric, what about you? Cause I know your background is more of a sort of techno and electronic side of things. I mean, how do you find inspiration for a new tune? Well, in the old techno and trance days, it was the, the guys called trial and the other one were called error. <laughs> Try and error. So, yeah, you would, you would just, you know, muck around and try out. You would go through some sounds and play some stuff and just hit record and record overdub on it and try stuff out. So, you be try to be inspired what just happens. Uh, that's definitely not a songwriting approach. So, it's more... So, what about these days? I mean, do you kind of... Are you you find you sit down with an, an instrument and try and work it out first or yeah uh, what i'm doing right now i'm actually re-recording my first ever live performed song i wrote and that was in 1977 ah, 30 years ago 30 years uh -huh. ago which in fact is the anniversary of punk which is something we're going to talk about next week i think Absolutely, and so I'm. I'm right now. I'm back into songwriting mode, and I had a drummer recorded via a digital musician using the DMR recorder, and then I did all the bass and the guitars, and then I realized, oh, it's not in the right key for me to sing to, so I totally <laughs> forgot about that part because ah. it's actually in the key that our old singer sang it but i'm trying to sing it now and now i have to do redo everything from scratch because it's just not the right key for my voice how far have you got to go <laughs> off pitch uh two half steps lower yeah pitch shifter. and use melodyne <laughs> yeah melodyne oh. <laughs> <with> melodyne. <laughs> top production tips from our team what about you, Rich? What do you reach? I know because you're, you're again, you know, you're a, a great guitarist and, and keyboard player. So is that what you reach for? Or do you find sometimes you're kind of tweaking a synth and just think, oh, yeah, that's getting me going. Or how does it work for you? Well, I try to change it up as much as possible. But lately I use uh, acid on the PC quite a bit. And uh, interestingly, in contrast to Mark's experience, I find it essential to have all of those CDs on a hard drive. And I actually have a hard drive more or less dedicated to those sounds and some other sounds that I keep, sound libraries in general. And uh, I find Acid to be a very inspiring creative environment. Um, uh, GarageBand isn't bad either, but uh, or sometimes, you know, I sit down at a piano, or sometimes it's a synth sound, as you said. Or 
how about you, Dave Spears? You're because um, you know. Again, I, I'm not. I think you can play a lot of instruments. I mean, how does it work for you, Tenry? Blimey, multitude of ways. Depends, really. Um, a sound can set me off completely. I can just, you know, find a sound and go off on a complete tangent. Um, but nine times out of ten, I'll sit down with either the Rhodes or you know an acoustic piano and just muck around. If I'm writing songs, yeah. Other times, it can be a groove. You know, just. In fact, it's funny because somebody asked me the other day, why don't you put an album out? And I, and I said, well, actually, it's weird because I've spent so long working with other people that, that I don't have a kind of fixed style of my own. I just kind of draw from everything. So I think I could churn something out, but it would be completely inconsistent and all over the place. Yeah, I'd like I to hear that. Agree. I totally yeah. agree. I have the same problem. I think that's one thing, though, because, I mean, you've all said you try and mix it up, and I think one of the things that is the danger of anything, you know, is like reaching for the same, the same chords. You, you throw the same shapes when, you know, cause Mark, you've talked about this before, you know, you just throw the same shapes and you throw, uh, and you end up just kind of, you know, not breaking out of, of the stuff that is, uh, that immediately falls to hand. So maybe it's important to, to try as many different ways as possible. It's cause it stretches, you know, the, the creative process a little. I'm, I'm doing a couple of things to try and circumvent that. And one of them is with the line six guitar, you can set up alternate tunings. What yeah. I've done is I've set up alternate octaves for the strings. So I've still got E, A, D, G, B, E like a normal guitar, except the octaves are wrong. So when you play melody line, it does all sorts of weird things. It leaps around the octaves a little bit like Sinead O'Connor singing that Prince song. You know, when she kind of goes, Ooh, which I can't do at all. <laughs> go on, have another go. Yeah, nothing compares to you. And she kind of goes, Ooh. Doesn't she? And she leaps an octave. Careful. We don't want to get sued for any publishing, right? Come on. I don't think you're in any danger of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, so it's not in your key, Mark. That's the problem. You're your standard, normal way you would play all your normal riffs, except the octaves are all <coughs> over the place. So it's, it's, you know, they sound completely different. Chords sound different as well if you put the, you know, you're playing different inversions of things. Yeah, sure. And it's just kind of cool, a cool thing to do. And then, of course, if you use alternate tunings and still play the riffs that you would normally play, you get some really weird stuff coming out if you've got non-E-A-D-G-B-E tuning, like Dad Gag or whatever it's called. Gag Grandad or whatever. I've never really got into that because I always scare that my strings will snap. Not that I play very often at all. Well, that's the beauty of the Line 6 guitar. The strings aren't going to snap because it's doing it electronically. Right. And the other thing I've been playing around with, not uh, fine sounds, there's another one called um, Freesound, the Freesound project, which if you do a Google search for, they, they actually have a search browse thing down the left-hand side, and you can hit random sample, and it throws up one of somebody else's sounds that they've recorded or made, and you just keep hitting random sample until it makes... A sound that you like and then i've been writing uh, writing stuff based on some of the you know whatever if something comes back a sound that inspires me very much like dave said so it's just like flipping through presets presets rather and until you find something that makes you go oh yeah something about that, that yeah I like. Like randomly but huh. find something that has a nice rhythm it might be an airplane going past or something with a nice kind of undulation to it does anyone find that there are um random patch generators for synthesizers that work that way well for them because the the spectralis which is uh is that sort of amazing synthesizer multi kind of filter whatever thing has got a really good random patch generator which takes bits from uh, the banks of 
patches you've already got in the synthesizer and just grabs like here's the envelope from that patch here's the filter from that patch the oscillators from that patch and just throws them together so that you're not going to get stuff that's totally unusable it's got a kind of slightly uh, a self-learning process i mean is there anything like that 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 works a similar thing in sculpture sometimes i really like the idea of um i was talking to a mate yesterday's um amy winehouse SMD, and he was saying that her album was recorded with uh, Mark Ronson did half of it and this Sally Remy did the other half and then so they were they were very disparate parts but then somebody else took those things and put top lines over them and I really quite like that idea of you know just giving it to somebody and going just make it cohesive and let me listen to it we should we should do this between ourselves we should make a sonic state song for christmas that's a great, that would be great fun. idea yeah okay I'm up for that. You know, Nick, this kind of breaks down to me into different kinds of categories creatively, some of which are directed, uh, like ground-up songwriting and things of that nature, and some of which relate more to chance operations, like some of the things Mark's been talking about changing straight, even after you've directed a musical event, but then you just start randomizing certain elements of it in order to bring about aspects that you didn't specifically set out to create. And uh, the other bit is that Quite a bit of our music-making culture now has become a sort of a montage analogy in terms of the film world, where we take all of these found elements in the GarageBand or Acid or any of those programs and bring them together to try to create something new out of a bunch of these found objects. So it is actually a directed process, but there's a sort of random element to it in terms of which of those things you haul out to try and make work with the, in the context you're working in. And I just think in terms of creativity, it's great to try to change it up a lot and not become too dependent on any one style or method or, you know, you could, of course you get interested in stuff, but, but uh, it's fun to keep changing it up. But doesn't that mean, you know, you have to invest quite a lot of time in learning new technologies, new techniques that allow you to do that? I mean, that's the something that yes. sort of puts me off a little yes. bit. Yes, but that's a good thing, though, Nick, I think. I mean, I think if you can take the time to invest in that, it's it's the same thing with the fundamentals of harmony and melody and rhythm. If you, if you take the time to constantly expand your knowledge of the history of harmony, melody, and rhythm, it's going to consequently make you a better musician. You know, you're, you're going to be able to expand your, your playing palette, and it'll do a lot of the things that, you know, re- retuning and other things will do for you automatically. And I think those things in combination, you'll know when, you, when you're able to pull out, you know, a specific microprocess and apply it to even something as you know, stated as ground up songwriting or composition. You can you can throw in random bits here and there if you know you want to create a certain texture or you can you can take loops and chop them up and reorder them at random or you can, you know, apply a different harmony or a different tuning to something. And I, I think I think all of these things um, are predicate on becoming a better you know to becoming a better musician, you know, and a better composer and producer and engineer. Yeah, I'm I'm sure you're absolutely right. I was listening to New Order's Blue Monday the other day, and I was saying to my partner that that this, you know, they used every new piece of gear almost that came out, and that song was so groundbreaking, not just because of the musicality of it, but because of the sounds and everything in there. And it was difficult to follow if you were using any of that same machinery because you're inevitably going to end up sounding like it. So, I mean, I'm... Sort of first to market, yeah. Yeah, there's, I think that with, you know, I think we're reaching a narrow sort of focal point of where the music technology can go now. So I don't think you're as likely to go out and find something that will generate sounds that 
uh, that much uh, more groundbreaking than what went before it. Hans, you sounded like um, you had a sharp intake of breath there. Was that something you wanted to add? <laughs> I have to agree. I mean, for example, the whole techno culture and the sound and everything was basically very um, technology orientated in a way because it was the use of how how uh, the new way how synthesizers were being used and everything. It was all a, a new sound with old gear, yeah. funny enough. So, because most of the synthesizers started to become new instruments in a way, because when they were first released, uh, people would try to get a nice piano or brass sound out of their Prophet 5. And that's how the presets were called, because the intention at that time was, you know, to reproduce real instruments with, the, with, the, with that gear. Uh, but the techno generation, they used the same gear in a totally different way and actually used it what these synthesizers were really good for their own synthesizer sound so it does not only apply you don't necessarily need a new technology to actually generate new music and a new style right um, out yeah. of these sounds the same goes for samplers at, at the beginning okay. everybody's trying looking for a piano sound on the sample and suddenly some kids realize oh we could just take a little snippet of a of a drum beat and actually was uh, i think it was um out of noise that did that for the first time instead of you know using the single drums they used um you know, a whole loop from an old Yes record. Right. And, well, the, art and of, the Art of Noise was a play on the noise of art, which was music concrete from the 1920s and 30s, wasn't it? I mean, people have been generating music from all sorts of weird stuff but for a lot longer and a lot previous to sort of sampling. So, I mean, I wouldn't want to discount what you said, Hans. I think you're probably right. What you've just said is it makes a lot of sense. Maybe we are going to see... Uh, a new musical style or culture come out of people using something that exists in new ways. Mm. Uh, a little bit of the Fab Four sound demos uh, from Sounds Online, the East-West uh, Ken Scott kind of collaboration, which is um, what they've done is, is basically taken a lot of the recording methods and instruments and, and um, microphones and processors and tried to recreate a kind of Beatle-esque sound library, which kind of goes sort of against what we've just been talking about in terms of finding new sounds. But uh, I know, PJ, when you first heard that, you were kind of quite impressed. And I must admit, I thought that sounds pretty amazing considering it's a sample library. Yeah, I, I listened to all three of them. Yeah, is it something you that one one might want to use? I could see myself using it in a context where I was called upon to create that kind of texture specifically. Right. But as far as its value to me in a wa- broader context than that, I find that sounds in general are very situational, and the likelihood that one of these is going to be the right one is no greater or lesser than you know for uh, for another task than something I already have in a sound library somewhere or in a drum program or something. Yeah, yeah. PJ, I know you because you were you were talking a little bit about this la- last time. Um, and what did yeah. what did you make make of this? 
Well, I, I agree completely with Rich. Um, I, I was more turned on to this by by its sound quality and the fact that it is, you know, that it is a sound library and, and appreciated as an artist and what what was accomplished by um, Ken Scott and Doug Rogers. I think it's a real, I think it's a real accomplishment. And I, I may buy the library for for the bass sound alone because I I do really appre- appreciate the texture and sound of the bass and i think they did a really good job of catch of capturing them that era of mccartney's uh sound and his style and but uh you know i agree completely with rich that sounds are very situational and that i probably have uh well i know that i have gigabytes and gigabytes and gigabytes of sounds and that uh what i have will probably cover it you know, but for for instance, you were talking about drum libraries. I can make one specific recommendation to you, Nick, and that's um, uh, D- DFH Custom and Vintage um, has many of the Beatles eras uh, drum drum sounds sampled um, through an old TGI desk. So oh, okay. it, it sounds very much like you know Abbey Road. All right, I'll try that out. Mark, I know you're kind of, you, you know, quite a, a fan of Ken Scott because, I mean, he's done a hell of a lot of great records by all accounts. He has. He, I mean, I worked with him on a Duran Duran thing and he uses sound creatively. He used sound creatively with Duran Duran in much the same way as he probably did with the Beatles. And, um, I mean, these sounds will be appropriate in other genres of music. I don't think I'd try and... Uh, recreate Beatles or Fab Four kind of sounds. I mean, not it, not that the Beatles were the only band that sort of sounded like that anyway, because there were sure. hundreds of them. There. So um, I don't think I'd ever sit down and start writing music like that, but I can see that the sounds would be useful in other things. I mean, let's face it, Susie and the Banshees' guitar sound completely revolved around sounding like this period of Beatles with, with a bit more flange on it. So, um, <laughs> well, yeah. you know, there's this... There's probably hundreds of uses for these sounds, so yeah, I mean, I'd be interested in them. Because I was looking at some of the other, I was looking at some of the other stuff as well. The sort of the the rock library and things just look like a really good laugh. You know, you could have some real fun with it. Um, but the yeah, I, I don't know. I I'd kind of quite like to try it, Dave. I know you're kind of quite a fan of what um, Doug Rogers can accomplish. You know, in terms of his sounds and what have you. Did you, did you kind of have a look around and see what else was there? Did you? I'm especially interested in the Baldwin electric harpsichord. Which is something that uh, we've been kind of lacking for a while. Um, So, yeah, I may get it for that. And like you say, the drums. Um, My only criticism, and it was only based on those files, was that um, it just sounded a little bit too clean to me. I was kind of hoping for a bit more vibe, a bit more grunge. But, hey... It sounded, it sounded like it needed a good whacking with a valve compressor over it, over the final mix, you know, get it to pump a little maybe, bit. Um, maybe it's to do with the way the demos are programmed as well. It might just all be a little bit tight. Yeah, maybe so, maybe so. That's not, yeah, I mean, it's not a criticism. I mean, it was obviously a mega labour of love. For those who are interested, the Fab Four, it's the Fab Four collection. Uh, it's, I think you can get a web special of 355 bucks. Uh, three nine five dollars normally, and it's a thirteen gigabyte sample library. And it's got there's a if you go to the web page, I'll put the link in the show notes. And there's a whole list of all the instruments that are there, and uh, you know some of it looks like it might be quite useful. There's a there's a guy in Bath, uh, which is where Sonic Sonic's based, um, who drives to work on a, one of those little monkey bikes, and I was kind of getting really covetous, and I've started to find myself gravitating towards websites that um, that have monkey bikes and monkey bike information. And it just struck me that maybe this was actually an indicator that I'm heading for a midlife crisis. As a monkey bike is kind of, if anyone knows, is kind of a, it's like a little diddy motorcycle. 
um, whether I've actually got sort of deeper psychological problems because I should really be looking at Harley Davidson. Um, and I know Mark is a is a as a monkey bike fanatic or knows a lot about them. I yes. <laughs> would I? Would do you think I'm looking in the right area, or should I be looking elsewhere to satisfy my um, need for a, a a big red sports car, basically? Uh, no, you could be looking in the right area, and they're they're a whole load of fun to ride, especially if you go for a very powerful one. I mean, it, it, it's sort of a bit similar to the Mini analogy. I don't know if you've ever been in a Mini Cooper, the original ones but the, from the, the cars, sort of sixties. Yeah. You're in, yeah, yeah, if you're in one of those going eighty miles an hour, it feels the same as being in any other car going one hundred and twenty miles an hour. So if you're on a little monkey bike going seventy miles an hour, it feels uh, very fast and exciting. So. Um, mm. You don't. You don't have to go for all of the Harley Davidson power and mad speeds to to have fun. They're really good. They're really good fun. Well, I mean, it just sounds very dangerous. Maybe I should take a leaf out of Hunter S. Thompson's book and just kind of buy a few drops of adrenaline that I can stick on my tongue every couple of weeks. You know, to sort of get me the same buzz without the danger of actually flying headlong into a wall or being crushed by a large articulated lorry. Don't, don't try this at home, kids. No, <laughs> Has anybody else got any guilty secrets they want to let us in on about how they've satisfied the, a similar, um, similar urges in their own lives or whether they would, they're far too sensible? I own a monkey bike. Do you? Yeah. yeah, I knew you. I knew you owned one. Mm, I haven't ridden it for years. I'm I'm banned from motorcycles. Sadly, I've been going on to the missus about. I'm going to buy a motorcycle. I'm going to buy a motorcycle again and again for the probably the last two years. Um, but our neighbour around the corner has a big old boy racer bike, and he came off and uh, had a pretty major smash. So that's it now. As soon as he managed mm. to crawl out of hospital in his braces and everything else, he came round and I said to him, uh, everyone else was like, oh, we're so glad you're still alive and all the rest of it. I said, I've got bloody bone to pick with you because yeah. of you. I can never have a motorcycle anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Such sympathy is so touching, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Non-Eric, Hans, I, I, I just suspect that maybe um, you might have the urge occasionally to splash out on something you shouldn't do. What, what might it be? Um, shouldn't talk about it here. <laughs> wow! Well, you are from you are in Berlin. I know there's a. Yeah, I was going to say you are in. <laughs> Does it involve um, the good doctors' establishments? Um, uh, good guess. Good guess. <laughs> well, um. I, th- I can hear by Rich Hilton's class that he knows exactly what I'm talking about. But um, <laughs> no, but seriously, I mean, is there, you know, d- does anyone have a sort of punch on? I know, Mark, you, you live and love motorcycles, don't you? So, I mean, you get that kind of fix on a regular basis. But does anybody else have anything that they kind of occasionally, you know, I, I, let's keep it uh, clean, obviously, if we can. Um, but what do you, you know, what do you do? What do you, when you kind of have the urge to buy something that you don't really need, but just makes you feel kind of, you know, excited or whatever, What what is it? Can I tell you a couple of my recent ones? Oh, go on then, Mark, yeah. Uh, the year before last, for Christmas, I got a unicycle for oh, Christmas, right. and I learned to ride it, and that was quite exciting. Um, but currently, I either want a hovercraft or one of those um, the little gyroscope planes, you know, like the hang gliders with the Rotax engine hanging off the bottom of them. Microlite, that's what they're called, microlite. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Okay, PJ. Uh, well, I haven't hit my midlife crisis. I think I might be the youngster of the group, but uh, I uh, I buy a lot of books. Uh, okay. I mean, sometimes very expensive books. One thing I can I can uh, 
tell i think it wouldn't be too dangerous i'm a i'm a i'm a video game junkie ah okay so i just recently bought bioshock it's a great game great graphics uh but i haven't had a chance to really get past the first uh, level dave spears will probably share that passion because you're a bit of a game freak aren't you as well yeah, completely, completely. That's if I need my little adrenaline fix or my uh, consumer fix, I'll usually go for a game. What format you on, uh, Hans? On PC. Oh, okay. Rich Hilton, what do you do? Do you buy a vintage guitar or or a helicopter? I have to confess, I don't have any of these that I can really point to and say I I go gaga and spend money on it. I, it just doesn't. Happened that way very much. Books and music, pretty much, in my life. I suspect, Rich, you're heading for a really big, a really big purchase that you've just been saving up your whole life. You're going to go, darling, I've just bought a, a mercury-powered speedboat or something like that, you know. It could be. It could be. How are you listening? <laughs> I think the thing with all these things is that you buy something that's maybe one or two years old so that if you buy it, you can sell it for the same price again afterwards. Don't get caught by the salesman selling you the brand oh, new yeah, no, sure. speedboat. I mean, I bought a camper van a long time ago. Well, not that a few years ago, but then I kind of got rid of it because I, my sense of adventure didn't match up to my. But uh, I got rid of it because we didn't actually do much camping <laughs> at all. I used to live. In, I used to live in one of those in the car park at the studio. <laughs> I, I that if I bought a camper van and parked it in the car park at the studio, it was cheaper than staying in the hotel nearby. So I, I just made a deal with the studio that I could go in and use the shower in the morning. And so we'd finish work at like one, two o'clock in the morning. And then I would, you know, take a nice sleeping draft and go to bed in the camper van. And and that was in Brixton, actually, in the in the car park of the Dairy Studios. And I'd get up again, sort of nine o'clock in the morning, wander into the studio, take a shower, be ready to work. It was fantastic. Uh, no commute time either. Yeah, no, that's none at all. No. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And I had a monkey bike on the back of the camper van as <laughs> hey! well. So if I wanted to go it. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't think I'm going to get away with a monkey bike because uh, everybody's saying, "Oh, they're incredibly dangerous." Because uh, obviously you're very low down, and I'd have to wear some sort of like pink leather suit or something to be able to be viewed. So I, I maybe. People will laugh at you because you're a big guy on a little tiny bike. It looks very silly. Uh, yeah, that's the other thing. I was thinking, I like the idea of it, but then I realised, because uh, I've got a little folding bicycle, which people laugh at me when I'm riding, and it's actually bigger than a monkey bike. So I think perhaps <laughs> the, all that sort of purchase, isn't it? It's supposed to make you feel good about yourself, not not to make you the kind of laughing stock of the entire city that was the downside of riding the monkey bike i found that people just basically would drive up next to me in their cars and just laugh out the window at me and go what's a big bloke like you doing on that stupid little thing and i'd be so embarrassed but 10 year old kids just shout random things at you you've been driving along the road and suddenly this 10 year old kid appears in the road in front of you and shouts wheelie mate and then, and then if you park it anywhere, they try and nick it because it's the perfect size for a 10-year-old kid. So it does have its downsides. Mark, I think you've taught me out of it. I feel, I feel somehow together as a group, you've helped me through my own personal crisis. So I'm going to look and get something a bit more sensible. I don't know. I'm not quite sure what that might be yet. Okay, guys. Well, thank you very much for your participation this week. Um, let's say goodbye to everybody. I'll start with Dave Spears from G4 Software. Thank you. Sorry, I'm just looking at prices of KDX 200. So, oh, is that a motorbike? You can look, but you just you can look, but you just can't touch. Uh, Mark Tinley, uh, <laughs> Mark Tinley. Yeah, thank you very much. You're welcome. And uh, Nonerick from Berlin, thank you for joining us this week too. 
You're welcome. Uh, Rich Hilton, sunny Connecticut. Um, I hope your the rest of your day is um, fruitful and enjoyable and sunny and what have you. Thank you. Always a pleasure. And PJ Tracy from Minneapolis. Uh, I think I got the, the city right this time. Um, <laughs> you did. Yeah. Hooray. Thank you well, so much, Nick. It you. was a lot of fun. For those of you who uh, perhaps haven't seen what we're up to, we've got uh, our top five samplers trailer. Just hit the uh, hit the website tonight. We're going to be putting that out um, uh, sometime later in the month. So uh, keep keep watching. And remember, folks, comments are always welcome. We'll be happy to read them out or play them or however they arrive. Uh, you can email them at, to sonictalk at sonicstate.com. We can just take words or MP3s. Or if you've got Skype, uh, you can call us on Sonic Talk. The handle Sonic Talk. Oh, we've got an answer phone there. Just leave us a message. Uh, we've got Skype in numbers in the US for that, uh, so dial 312-376-8089 if you're inside the US, or if the UK's closer, or you're in the UK, 0207-870-8616. Remember to dial your country codes before those if you're outside either of those countries. That's US telephone number 312-376-8089, UK 0207-870-8616. Thanks for listening. Sonic State. Dot com.